Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here. I want to personally thank everybody that had a part in making our Family Fun Day yesterday a, a successful day. Uh, met a lot of people, had a lot of good fellowship, ate some good old hot dogs. I ate hot dogs two times a year. <laughs> I'm kidding. They were good. I actually had two yesterday. You guys that did the chili, mm, spot on yesterday. Today we're going to talk about something that I'm not sure that I've ever really preached on before. I've been doing this for 29 years. You'd think I'd get around to it sooner or later. But it's a subject, you, you hear the word in the Old Testament, you see it over and over and over again. But when you get to the New Testament, there's only one place it's found. In the Old Testament, you find that it's physical structures. When you get to the New Testament, it's, it's inside your mind. We're going to talk about strongholds today. And I want you to think about a stronghold as being something that uh, has been established in your mind. It's encapsulated some kind of lie or untruth that Satan has made available to us, maybe in something we read, something we saw, something we were told, but it's something that somehow has, has made its way into our mind and we believe it to be true, and because we believe it to be true, we've patterned our lifestyle after it, and we do those things because that's what we think is the right thing to do. And in doing that, we, we have become enslaved to lies. We wonder sometimes why we don't grow beyond a certain point in our spiritual life. And, and my firm belief it's because maybe there are one or more strongholds in our minds that hinder us from accepting God's truth and doing what God would have us to do. So that's the foundation, that's the base of where we're going to be this morning. I wonder who remembers what happened on June 12th, 1987. I'm going to find out who here has a, photo stat, a photographic mind. <laughs> photographic mind. June 12th, 1989. Nobody? What? Yeah. You got that. You just, you just kill my message. <laughs> I, I'm picking, I'm picking. That is when our president, um, Ronald Reagan, challenged Gorbachev with these words. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Because it was a wall that for over 25 years had separated Eastern and Western Berlin. People's lives were divided because of a wall. In time, that wall did come down. It didn't come down that day. In fact, it took about two years, but it did come down. Now, the point is this. The, the Berlin Wall was a visible barrier that could be seen with a human eye that divided and restricted people from being together. But there are also unseen barriers, unseen walls, strongholds that hinder relationships that people need to have with God and have with each other. Most of these are never seen and seldom recognized for what they are, and yet they're just as real as walls constructed with mortar and stone and even brick. Um, I remember ministering to a particular individual down in North Carolina when I pastored there. I, I did a lot of counseling with him over a period of about seven or eight years. Um, he and I became friends, and I wanted to help him. I invested a lot of time in him. He was a very smart, very capable guy, but he was also a drug addict. In fact, he was, uh, he, he was terribly addicted to crack cocaine. Drugs ruined his life. It destroyed his marriage and a lot of other relationships that he desperately needed to have. It, it cost him a lot of jobs. He had some really good jobs, and he lost those jobs because of his drug addiction. His, his drug addiction became a really strong and powerful stronghold in his life. And it was defeating him and, and causing him never to progress any further than where he was. 
Uh, I, I know for a fact that there were many weekends when he would get his paycheck and then go and spend seven, six, seven, eight hundred dollars on crack cocaine. He would get in his little Z28 and he would drive around and smoke it while driving. So wonder he didn't kill himself or somebody. I know he, he missed some stop signs. I know he went out through some fields and found some ditches. There was even a weekend when it was his turn to have his son, his seven-year-old boy. He picked him up, but he had already bought a bunch of crack cocaine. So he and his boy spent the weekend in the car with him smoking his dope and driving. And that little boy was in the car for three days. It was so bad that when he took his son home to his ex-wife, within two hours, she was at the emergency room because that seven-year-old boy was going through drug withdrawals because of the secondhand smoke that had been in the car. That's how bad it was. I know that he went through about five drug rehabilitation centers. He was so good and so... <laughs> deceptive that I think the third one they before he got out they had him as a counselor <laughs> he, uh, it was bad um, his parents over the years spent tens of thousands of dollars trying to keep him out of jail out of prison out of jail um, he'd get out he'd be fine for a while and then he'd be right back on the drugs I, I remember saying to this guy on more than one occasion that until you fall in love with Jesus and love him more than you love yourself and your drugs, you will never be clean. Never. Guys, I still believe that to this day. I do. To this day, he's not been able to beat his strongholds because he's not faced reality and not done the spiritual things that he needed to do. Part of that is because of the addictive nature of, of crack cocaine. It messes up your mind. It is so addictive. But there's another reason, and that is because he doesn't understand the addictive nature of spiritual strongholds in your life. Crack, crack cocaine is not the only thing that he's addicted to. Uh, it, it's not the only stronghold in his life. There are others, and we've tried to deal with those, and uh, he, he would ignore it. Jesus tells us something very similar to what I said to my friend in Matthew 22. Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Now we read that and we just move right on. But he didn't say with a little bit of your heart, a little bit of your soul and a little bit of your mind. He said all your heart, mind and soul. All. These words about loving God are necessary. We need to love him more than ourselves, more than our drugs, more than our strongholds. And, and you and I need to understand that the decision to love God, it starts right here. It starts in our mind. We think about it. We make a decision. The decision to start loving God is in the mind. I talked a lot last week about thinking, about right thinking and how right thinking is so important and how that because it is so important, you are the product of what you think. What you think and how you think is absolutely critical. When Paul was writing to the Christians in Philippi, he, he wrote these words. He says, in your lives, now, and I, and I just want to make sure you understand this. In your lives, that's not speaking about the, the, the longevity of your life, but he's talking about every day, daily, in your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Well, guys, if you're not going to act, you know, if, if you're not going to act like, you're not going to act like him if you don't think like him, and you're not going to think like him if you don't know him. And I'm not talking about just knowing him with your head, but knowing him with your heart. A lot of people have information about Jesus in their mind, but it's never done anything to their heart. There's no commitment there to him. In Isaiah 55, verse 8, God spoke through the prophet and said, My thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. 
Now, I read this quote to you, but I want to read it again. Dr. Tony Evans said, because God is transcendent and distinct from his creation, his way of approaching and analyzing an issue is not going to be your way. That's why you need to develop the mind of the king. You need a kingdom mentality, a kingdom way of thinking so that you can get God's mind in the issues of your life daily. Whether you're talking about marriage or sex or money or children or any other issue in your life, God's thinking on the subject will be different than the way the world thinks about it. Your ability and your decision to develop a kingdom mind will also determine whether you taste victory or defeat in your spiritual life every day. Now, what you think, where you set your mind will determine to a large degree what you experience in your choices. And because of that, what you sow in your mind will come out through your mouth, through your hands, and through your feet. Your body will always express what is in your mind. Your actions reveal your thinking. Now, because our mind is so crucial to our functioning as Christians, it behooves you and I to understand the relationship between the soul and the mind. And here's why that's important. I believe, based on what I've studied in God's word, that your soul is what makes you who you are. Your soul is the real you. It's been said that your soul is a compilation of your mind and your emotion and your will. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know this. Your soul is the spiritual you. Your body is the physical you. Your soul is the spiritual you. Your soul is eternal, and that's not true of your body. Your body is not the real you, not the important you. Your body is simply a container of your soul. Your soul is the real essence of who you are. When you die, your soul is what will either go to heaven or hell. In fact, the Bible says that the moment you die, if you're a believer, your soul is ushered into the presence of God. Your body might get put in the grave, it might be cremated, it might be fed to the fish. Real. <laughs> your body will come back and be resurrected later on and the soul and the body will go together and be made fit for heaven. To experience the kingdom you need to understand that our soul has been created for eternity. Your earthly body cannot exist like it was created in eternity. And Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 15. He says, what I am saying to brothers and sisters is that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These perishable bodies of ours are not able to live forever. Your earthly body cannot exist like it was created in eternity. Well, guess what? Neither can your soul. Neither can your soul. Your soul has to be prepared for eternity. I was watching Fox the other morning and they were interviewing um, Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham. And they were talking about Billy being in heaven now and he asked Franklin if he was you know, okay with his father being gone and he's just written a book called, I think it's called In My Father's Eyes. And, uh, and Franklin just made a very interesting statement. He said, you know, you need to understand that my father lived his whole life preparing for heaven. His whole life has been about getting ready to go spend eternity with God. How many of us live just the opposite of that? We live life like this is all there is. We put everything into it. We don't give any thought to the future and we live for the moment. That's how most of us live. Friends, your soul has to be prepared for eternity. When God created you in the womb of your mother, you were clean and pure and innocent. If you go through my class, I draw that as a simple circle on a white board. It's nice and clean and pure and innocent. 
You come into this world that way with no sin stains on your soul. You came into this world with a clean soul because you never committed any kind of sin. You were not a sinner when you came into this world, although you came in with a sin nature. When you're born with that sin nature, it's like that sin nature is asleep for a little while. But the older you get, the more that sin nature begins to wake up. And then there's that element that Satan begins to throw temptation in the mix. And as that sin nature wakes up and as temptation comes into your life, sooner or later you're going to bite the hook and you're going to sin. And the moment you sin, that is when your soul becomes stained and separated from God. You start out like this with God, but sin separates you. And you don't want to die like that. Because there is no purgatory. Hello? It's not in the Bible. I challenge you to find it. It's not there. Now you need to understand that when that happens, that makes us unacceptable to God. If you die with sin on your soul, God will not let you into heaven. If you show up knocking on his door and you got sin on your soul, he's going to see right through your skin. He's going to see the spiritual you and he's going to see the sin stains and he's going to go, sorry, can't let you in. That's got to be clean, folks, before we die. And if you read your Bible, Jeremiah 2.22 says, soap and water will not clean your soul. You can't clean it. It can't clean itself. Only Jesus can do for you what needs to be done. He alone can wash the sin stains away from your soul. You know, the, the soul is where God lives in the person of the Holy Spirit. When, when he cleans you up and the sin goes, then Jesus can move in. Not before, only then. The soul is where God wants to live, but guess what? The mind is where sin is set, where Satan sets up his, his little camp. And we don't think about that, but this passage of Scripture is going to talk about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 Verse 3, 4, and 5. Now, Paul makes an interesting statement in, in verse 3. He says, we are humans, but we don't wage war as humans do. In other words, we may be humans, and we're certainly in a spiritual battle, but Paul says we refuse to fight with human ways. If you're a believer, and what, what Bobby's saying about a while ago and what Ronnie alluded to was the fact that as Christians, we're soldiers in the army of God. It's not an option. There are no exceptions, no deferrals. We're all in the fight. We fight against the kingdom of darkness. Our fight is for the, the truth of scripture and the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of sinners and for the virtue of saints. Paul says that for we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against evil rulers, uh, the authorities of the unseen world against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realm. We don't see it with our eyes, but guys, there's an enemy out there that we fight every day. You wake up doing battle because there's a spiritual war going on. You need to understand that human weapons don't work. A spiritual battle cannot be fought with weapons of the flesh. And for that reason, Paul chose not to fight with human ingenuity and human ideology and human methodology. He well knew that human reason and wisdom and plans and strategies and organization and skills and eloquence and marketing and religious showmanship and philosophical and psychological speculation and ritualism and pragmatism and mysticism, all of that would be ineffective when it comes to fighting the kingdom of darkness. You look at that whole list that I just read off, absolutely none of that will rescue a lost sinner from darkness. And neither can it transform a believer into the likeness of Christ. There are, that's, that stuff's all useless in spiritual warfare. You and I are going to fight successfully. We've got to go to the heavenly arsenal and pull out some of God's weapons. Verse 4 talks about that. Paul writes, we use God's mighty weapons, not 
mere worldly weapons to knock down the devil's stronghold. Only divinely powered weapons have the ability to destroy the fortresses that have been made in our minds by the enemy. Now, I believe that the, one of the keys is understanding those fortresses in our mind. So what are these fortresses that Paul's talking about? Depending on what translation you have, sometimes it's the word fortress, sometimes it's the word stronghold. You and I have all watched movies that centered around a medieval period of time in history. I, I remember quite a few. There's one, um, I think it's Robin Hood, Kevin Costner was in. There's, there's a big castle in part of one of those scenes. Um, Several other movies where there are castles or structures, and, and we, uh, we've probably seen these huge structures made of stone. They're huge, they're high walls, they're towers surrounded by moats, alligators and piranhas in them. I'm kidding. I saw one the other day, it had sharks in them. These medieval fortresses were built to be places of safety with high walls that were designed to be impregnable. You can imagine being a, a soldier that had to, to get inside and you're trying to figure out how that's going to happen. Just looking at the wall, you go, oh my goodness, how in the world am I ever going to get in that place? And you think, man, they give me these little rinkety ladders and I'm supposed to put a ladder up against the wall, climb the ladder, and there's guys throwing hot oil on me and, and shooting down at me and stones, you know? Just drop a rock. You might, you might have to get you the tower. You might think about, you know, burning the, the main door or the main gate down if you can get fire to it and survive that. But chances of you knocking a hole in that stone wall is pretty slim. Pretty slim. Fortresses that surround and protect what is inside. Satan knows how to build them. He knows how to protect his lies once he implants them. Now I want you to do this. I want you to try to imagine and transfer that image to the realm of the mind. Think about, can you see those spiritual strongholds that might be inside your mind that are surrounding lies that you've been, you've been told and you have bought hook, line, and sinker? God says these strongholds have to be destroyed. We have to knock down the devil's strongholds. That means they're evil. It means that God didn't build them. A spiritual stronghold is a negative, destructive pattern of thinking that develops in the mind, either through repetition or traumatic experiences or other circumstances, but the core is they are lies from the enemy. There's an old saying that says, when you sow a thought, you reap an act. Sow an action and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character and sow a character and you reap a destiny. Now, why is that true? Because you become what you think. When you allow the enemy to build a stronghold in your mind, you're giving him a place from which to launch more and more attacks against your mind. And you also give him a fortress from which to repel your attempts to dislodge him. One of the main reasons his strongholds are so powerful is that they're so deeply entrenched in our mind. They're well anchored. We've heard them from the time we were small. We watch them reinforced by the behavior of older people around us. Then we grew up and that's what our peers did. And because they did it, we did it. And the next thing you know, we're living that. We're living just like the world, having been enslaved by these strongholds. Folks, Satan builds a stronghold every time he's able to convince you that you are in a situation that is hopeless. Let me say it another way. When you view something as unchangeable that God says is changeable, then the enemy has built another stronghold in your mind. And you and I need to understand that a stronghold doesn't have to be as dramatic as drug addiction or pornography 
or, or even alcoholism. I, I know a lot of people who have strongholds in their life, in their mind, that are nothing more than the idea of hopelessness and jealousy and lust and fear and anger and greed and selfishness. One of the most common strongholds that Satan has established in the minds of so many, especially here in America, has to do with marriage. I'm fixing to quit preaching and start meddling here for just a minute. Amen? Okay, you asked for it. There is a strong hold associated with marriage that says it is okay for you to live together and be sexually active before marriage. Mm -hmm. The mental justification is that we need to try things out to be sure that we are compatible before we jump into marriage. You know, there are too many people today that treat marriage with that rent-to-buy mentality. Let's try living and sleeping together, and if we like it, then maybe we can get married later. Folks, that is a negative, destructive pattern of thinking. Our world promotes the human ideology and when you either don't know what God says or you choose to start a relationship ignoring God's way, that is when you allow Satan to establish a stronghold in your mind. And if you accept the human ideology that it's okay to live together and be sexually involved before marriage, then that's what you do. And then when everything falls apart, either before marriage or after marriage, you scratch your head and you walk around in circles going, why didn't it work? You continue to ignore what God has said and you start living together again as a couple and you try again using that same flawed recipe that will again lead to another marital disaster. Strongholds in mind. What does God say about marriage and how to start it? The truth of God's word is absolutely critical. It leads to his greatest blessing. Tony Evans said, in order to tear down these fortresses, these strongholds, you need to replace the lies with the truth of God's word. So what does God say about starting a marriage? Well, first of all, I would tell you that the Bible says, that was always one of the things that Billy Graham always said. The Bible says. Why? Because he didn't care if you believed his opinion or not because he wasn't going to give it to you. But he was going to give you the truth of God's word. The Bible says. The Bible says that there are three kinds of sexual sins. There's the sin of homosexuality. There's the sin of adultery. There's the sin of fornication. They all come from the same root word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says, run away from sexual sin. Run away from it. Why? Because you don't want it to catch you. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Folks, God is clear in his instructions for a couple to wait until they're married before they become sexually active with each other. It says that in the Old Testament. It says that in the New Testament. When you go back and look in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 24, we find God's formula for marriage. And it's really simple. Three steps. He writes this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Step one says there must be leaving. That young man needs to get out on his own and get a job and find a place to live and become independent. 
so he's not mooching off mom and dad. Hello? That's step one. Step two is, after a time of engagement, you come together with that one you're engaged to and you join yourself to your wife. That is when you commit yourself to each other in marriage. That is when you commit yourself to love each other with God-like love. That is when you say, until death do us part. That's step two. Step three is really simple. There's got to be leaving, and there's got to be joining. And then he says, and the two are united into one. That is when... You become sexually active with each other as a married couple. Hello? Scriptural. God's intention is for you to consummate your marriage on your wedding night with your bride. God says, wait. Don't get involved sexually. That reality is... uh, Most people don't do that. And a lot of times it's because they don't know to do that. But sometimes it's because they just don't want to do what God says do. In Acts chapter 15 verse 29, the scripture says, the Bible says, you must abstain from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Well. Friends, if your marriage didn't start off the way that God said it needed to start off, but you're still together, I would say you better thank Jesus. Accept the truth, confess your sin, receive God's forgiveness, move on living for God, for the glory of God, thanking him that he has blessed you when you didn't deserve it. You hear me? But by chance, if you're a single, again, person as a result of divorce, know that God loves you. Please understand that. When God puts these patterns and these recipes out there, it is for our best. But when we fail to use them, God still loves us. God loves sinners. He hates our sin, but he loves sinners. Amen? that happens to be you and you desire to marry again then accept the truth of God and start your next relationship off God's way why because those who follow God's order of marriage that spiritual recipe for putting a marriage together they're the ones that receive the blessings of God again there are many many kinds of spiritual strongholds out there So what do we need to do to get rid of your spiritual stronghold well look with me at verse 5 2 Corinthians Chapter 10, verse 5. Interesting verse. He says, with these weapons. What weapons? Not guns, not knives, not swords, but truth. With these weapons, with truth, we break down every proud argument, all of our belief systems that have come from the world that keep people from knowing God. And with these weapons, we conquer... uh, with, with these weapons, we conquer their rebellious ideas and we teach them to obey Christ. Now, there are two things in this verse I want to point out. First thing is this. Your ungodly strongholds are going to hinder you from coming and knowing God. If you've got a bunch of strongholds that have been there for a long, long time, there's a good chance that that's what's kept you from ever coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing him personally as your Lord and Savior. Those strongholds can be so real that you'll get to just a point and you'll stop. You won't go any further. And until the strongholds go, you're never going to go any further. It's all because they're based on lies. His lies are misleading and they take you away from God. God's truth is the only thing that brings you to Christ and sets you free. In John 8, 32, Jesus said, and you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. The second thing I see here is that you destroy your ungodly strongholds by accepting and obeying God's word. You first receive it, you believe it, you apply it, and you live it. 
Guys, uh, most of us have had those periods of time in our life where Satan had our minds for so long that we need to just get it back and give it to God, right? Stop letting the devil have something that God wants. Paul says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now, why is that important? Why, why do we need to let God change the way we think? Simply because until you accept God's word and you welcome it into your heart, you'll continue to lead a, a defeated life based on your outward effort to be pleasing to God. You're going to keep trying to do it your own way. But folks, Paul is very clear that it is by an act of your mind becoming renewed in the Lord that you reach the victorious life that he's called us to live. But you got to know this. These strongholds in our mind, we're too weak to make them go away. Satan's too strong. We need God's help. You need him to help you put to death that old viewpoint that you grew up with that holds you captive. You also need to receive God's life-giving viewpoint on, on the matter and renew your mind according to his truth. Again, Tony Evans says this. He says, if and when you do not allow a complete renewing of your mind with God's truth, you wind up with double-mindedness which produces a form of spiritual schizophrenia that keeps you from maximizing and benefiting from the kingdom of God. Where you set your mind is so important because what you set your mind on will penetrate and dominate your thinking. If you belong to Christ, you may feel like the enemy is always out there trying to chase you down. But when you set your mind on the things of Christ, you can receive God's word and allow it to act like a two-edged sword in your life. Ask him, ask the Holy Spirit to reprogram your mind with the truth of his word and then start acting in light of that. And not only will your fears and your doubts leave you when you come to trust and stand on the promises of his word, but I, and this is the part I like, but God will build strongholds of truth in your mind and man the guard towers himself. Ooh, I like that. We need strongholds of truth in our mind. And we need God guarding our heart. Because that's the only way we're going to win and, and be, be victorious. I, and I just want to say this because you know the, the devil's a liar. There is no reason for anybody in this room to believe the lies that Satan puts out there. That we're hopeless or that we're unchangeable. My God can do anything. He can take a drug addict and make you clean. First time I went to Thailand, there was a young Thai girl playing a guitar in one of our meetings. I'll never forget it as long as I live. She had been diagnosed with AIDS because she had been a prostitute. But she gave her life hook, line, and sinker, mind, soul, and body to Jesus. And you know what? Her AIDS disappeared. Yeah. You're not hopeless. Paul says, for I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything. Now I want to be honest because I need to be. Y'all know me to be an honest person. I try to be. I try to tell you the truth and sometimes that's good, sometimes that's not. Not everybody in this room can claim the promises we've just talked about. That I can do all things through Christ. Not everybody can claim that in this room because not everybody belongs to Christ. Again, I'm not talking about having a bunch of facts in your head. I'm talking about having an intimate personal relationship with Jesus that you live out every day. I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning, there are two people that I want to check in with. One is my wife, and the other is Jesus. And I usually am, I'm talking to Jesus before I get out of bed. 
Because quite honestly, as much as I love her, Jesus and I need to talk before I talk to her. Are you with me? We have a sign hanging in our house that says, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. I'll take the coffee later. Give me Jesus first. If your mind is not set on Jesus, then you're not treating him as if he is your life. Let me say that again. If your mind is not on Jesus Christ, then you're not treating him as if he is your life. How long would your marriage last if you stopped talking to and listening to your mate? (laughs) What if you got married and you said to your wife, I'm speaking to you men, What if you said to your wife the day you got married, you know, honey, this has been a beautiful day. You got a beautiful dress. The flowers are pretty. Ceremony was wonderful. Loved it. Had a great time. Man, this has been so good, but I've got to go do something. And I'm going to be gone for a little while. I don't know. It might be two weeks, two years, 20 years. I don't know. But I want you to know I love you with all my heart. And I'm going to think about you every day. And one of these days when I get done what I got to do, I'll come back and we'll have a good time again. What's the chance she's going to be there when he comes back? (laughs) That's the way we treat Jesus sometimes. We get a little bit of conviction in our heart. We want to make it go away. So we pray a prayer. We walk the aisle. We let a preacher put us in a baptistry. And then we go back to living in the world just the way we had always done. We think about Jesus every now and then. And when we get in a bind, we take the Bible off the wall, put the dust off of it, and we open it up and we try to find a passage that meets our situation for the day. Guys, that's not a relationship, that's religion. And my God doesn't give a rip about religion. He wants a personal relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants to spend the day with you. He wants to spend the night with you. And it's okay for him to do that. There's an interesting character in the Old Testament. His name is Samuel. He delivered some words to a king named Saul, a king that God had established as the ruler of Israel. But Saul Saul had a position. He wasn't in tune with God. There was a little while that the Spirit of God was with Saul, but then the Spirit of God left him. Because quite honestly, Saul's heart was selfish. And all he cared about was himself. And at some point in that story, God had had enough. And Samuel said these words to him. But now your dynasty must end for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already chosen him to be king over his people. For you have not obeyed the Lord's command. And you read into the New Testament and you could read right there in Samuel about it. But it's brought to light in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 13, Paul tells us that that man was David that God replaced Saul with. But God removed him from the kingship and replaced him with David. A man about whom God said, David, son of Jesse is a man after my own heart, for he will do everything I want him to do. He referred to David as a man who was after his own heart. Now, why was that so? Simply because it was uh, the fact that David couldn't get God off his mind. 
I read part of this to you last week, but I'm going I'm to read more of it today. Psalm 63. I want you to see the relationship that David had with God. We, we know the, the background. David has been chased out of Jerusalem by Absalom, his son. And uh, he's out in the wilderness, the En Gedi. And he's in a, a dry place. But instead of looking for water, he's looking for God. And he says these words in his song. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. He said, I have seen you in your sanctuary. I've gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better to me than life itself. How I praise you. I will honor you as long as I live. Lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest of food. I will praise you with songs of joy. He says, I lie awake thinking about you. Meditating on you through the night. I think how much you have helped me. I sing for joy in the shadow of your protecting wings. In verse 8, he says, I follow close behind you. Your strong hands, it holds me securely. Folks, having that kind of passion for God, I promise you, will make a huge, huge difference in your life. You need to understand that there's not room enough in your heart for God in the world, for Jesus in the world. You're either going to think about the world or you're going to think about Jesus. See, that's where we struggle. We live here, don't we? But the Bible says we're temporarily here. We might be citizens here, but we're citizens of a greater place. We have to decide what we're going to think about. In all honesty, what takes up the bulk of our thinking through the week? A lot of busyness, isn't it? Yeah, and so often we, we get up, our feet hit the floor. We run, 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 run all day long. We either kneel beside our bed or we sit on the side of the bed or we just crawl in and pull the sheets up and we start thinking about Jesus and we say about four or five words to him, and the next thing we know, it's morning. We need to be getting up in the morning and opening up our word, God's word, and spending some time with Jesus. And then you can reflect on what he teaches you in the morning all day long. Because that's a relationship. You can talk to him all day long. I, I don't know how many people uh, that I've read about that, that start their prayer in the morning saying, thank you, Jesus. How are you today? And when they put their head on the pillow, they say, good night, Lord, because they've talked to him all day long. I just want to ask you one question in close, closing. If we could take some kind of microscope that sees spiritual things and we could somehow biopsy your brain would we find strongholds that belong to the enemy or would we find strongholds that belong to the Lord see I believe that there's some of us that were hung up on these uh these evil strongholds like being like a boat on a cypress knee in a pond. And we're just going around and around. We're not making any progress. We're not growing because there are strongholds, spiritual strongholds, evil spiritual strongholds that are keeping us from becoming who God wants us to be. You got to first recognize that they're real. Realize what yours is. Give it to the Lord knowing the truth of his word so that that lie that's held you is flushed and it can't come back to the surface. Live forward in the truth, letting go of the lie.
Some of us have been holding on to lies for a long time because that's what we were told. That's what we grew up with. When are you going to get rid of it? When are you going to move forward with the Lord? I can't think of a better day than today. Because until you do, you're going to keep doing what you've always done. Okay? Let's pray. Father, I am not you. I can't see what's going on in people's hearts and minds. I only see how they live their life and how they struggle. But you're a loving God that both sees inside our mind and our heart. You know the truth. You know what we struggle with. You know why we struggle with it. And you have an answer for it. There's a truth that belongs to you. That Lord puts that lie below where we live. It, 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 it moves it away from us. It destroys it. It tears it down. I'm asking you, God, today to stir our hearts and help us to be honest with ourselves. We know what we're struggling with. We know why we're not growing. We know why we're floundering in our spiritual life. We just haven't known what to do with it or we haven't chosen to do anything about it. I'm asking you today, Lord, to stir our hearts to the point that we, we do something. We obey you. We repent of sin. We commit ourselves to living for you. Maybe there's somebody here today that needs to be saved. Lord, I know you can do that. Maybe there's somebody here that's been recently saved that needs to make that public. Maybe there's a Christian that needs to just get rid of that stronghold and rededicate their life. Whatever decision needs to be made, Lord, I'm, I'm asking your spirit to work on us to change us because we can change. We're not hopeless. Life can be different because there's nothing that's impossible with you. Thank you, Lord, for that wonderful promise. Help us to live it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me?